Today is the 32nd Sunday of Ordinary Time, and we're quickly approaching the end of the liturgical year. To recap, of course, we all know it because it goes over and over and over again. As we meditate on the great mysteries of our faith, we celebrated Christmas and then Easter, and those cycles, and we're calling the events of the Incarnation and our salvation. We also perused Jesus's ministry, his teachings, his parables, his miracles, and his sometimes awkward challenges to the religious leaders of his day who had hijacked the true and authentic meaning of faith. And now, as we come to the end of the year, it's time to focus on the end times and our need to be on guard and alert to have our priorities straight as we never know when God will, will call us to see him face to face. Apocalyptic literature bids us to ponder what credentials or evidence do we, that we have that will help us during that encounter. The parable of the wise and foolish bridesmaids give us a glimpse into the, into, uh, the, the wedding traditions and customs of Jesus' day. It also has some odd twists that leave biblical scholars scratching their heads about their meaning. For example, the bridegroom who didn't make it to the church on time, as the song says, why so late? We have a cast of careless and oilless bridesmaids who have to go out shopping in the middle of the night, pre-Walmart. There's also the rude move to bar the doors to the wedding hall, excluding some of the wedding party even. The fact that the wise bridesmaids are pretty selfish and not sharing their oil. It's also a little confusing because the story doesn't tell us which house the groom is entering or why the bridesmaids are accompanying him. Where is the bride? What's going on? This is a wedding coordinator's nightmare. One thing we know for sure in the story, the bridegroom is Christ. In addition to the story's themes, Jesus himself the bridegroom, he calls himself the bridegroom on multiple occasions throughout scripture. Parts of this parable speak about the situation in the early church. Specifically, there was tension regarding the delay in Jesus' arrival as the bridegroom. Many of the early Christians expected him to return to judge the living and the dead and to do so immediately. But when his second coming was delayed, they began to look for explanations. Scripture scholars believe that this is uh, the groom's delay is Matthew's way of helping them come to terms with the fact that God wasn't, or Jesus was not returning even in their lifetimes. And you know, 2,000 years later, we don't seem to be bothered by that delay at all. We're kind of used to the delays at airports and freeways, doctor's offices, wherever. In fact, it seems like we've gotten quite comfortable and perhaps we don't even expect Jesus to return at all. So why the concern for preparing for Jesus' return? Relax. It's all good, we say. Yes, many delude themselves into thinking that we can put off discipleship, or maybe we don't have to bother with it at all. A Gallup poll revealed that 78% of Americans anticipate going to heaven. Good for them. On the surface, that seems like a real good thing. But many of those same people also say that they never pray, they never study scripture, never go to church, much less evangelize or serve the poor. 
I think some of the planning that I've done for funerals as a priest, I often call to get details of a person's life, to personalize the homily, specifically how they put their faith into action that will afford a family hope for eternity with God. But there's nothing more painful than when families report that all their loved one did was, well, you know, they like to eat, like to play golf, like to watch TV, all these things that were self-centered instead of other-centered. seems kind of desperate to think that there's much hope at the judgment seat of God. I mean, why would God want such a person in heaven? Practically speaking, if we don't like, uh, don't, uh, take, uh, we don't like taking, being taken for granted, why would the God of the universe agree to it either? In other words, and most importantly about today's readings, God's kingdom is a place prepared, a prepared place for a prepared people. Having identified the bridegroom as Christ, the next step is to identify ourselves with those bridesmaids who await him. The oil in the lamps represent their good deeds and the fruits of the Christian life and the prayer life that is combined with a huge dose of God's grace. The oil feeds the lamp which sheds light, enabling Christ to identify us and lead us into the wedding feast of the kingdom of God. But what about those foolish bridesmaids and the refusal of the wise ones to offer their oil? Seems like a group of mean girls, if you ask me, but in the context of our meditation on the end times, this is the uncomfortable reminder that we can't rely on the good deeds of others. I had people say that to me. I have a very holy mother. I'm, I'm banking on her getting me into heaven. I said, that doesn't make any sense at all. Or the holiness of others to obtain eternal entry when we have no oil of our own. And it's a great risk to buy oil at the last minute in the middle of the night. In most cases, throughout our lives, each of us has to be responsible for ourselves. Our choices demonstrate our fitness for the kingdom of God or not. The foolish bridesmaids totally misunderstand this, and when they come knocking at the door, it's not a cruel bridegroom that bars them from entry, but rather they do not grasp and understand the, the nature of the kingdom of God and thus aren't ready for it. So when pondering our entry into eternal life with God and our loved ones who have gone before us, we must constantly take an inventory. God has done his part by sending his son to suffer and die for us. Have we appointed our souls with the beauty of a robust prayer life and a cadre of good works? Our readings today remind us that the spiritual life must, in fact, be lived. At the end of the liturgical year, we are encouraged to think and pray deeply. Have we incorporated all that we have learned throughout this liturgical year to give something beautiful to God? There's an expression that critiques the way in which we raise children in the modern day. Some roll their eyes and say that everyone gets a participation trophy and we're all winners. 
These make the, this, makes the, this kind of a terminology and thinking makes these readings harder for us because God is calling us, whether it is to be a priest or religious or a married person or a deacon or a single person, and expecting us to excel, devoting ourselves wholeheartedly to following his son. And whether we do or not will make the decisive difference in where we spend eternity. As Christians, we have received a great gift. God has implanted faith in each of us. He has revealed himself to us, and he has shown us the depths of his love. Our task is to reciprocate that love. It is to follow his gospel and to live our lives in union with him. It is to radiate his light and to love those that are around us. Simply by doing his will ourselves, we become fully prepared to meet Christ, who's bri- who, uh, like those bride ma- bridesmaids who were peaceful and prayerful. In the end, it should be our greatest desire to recognize the bridegroom when he comes and that he will recognize us as faithful followers ready to do his will at any moment as he welcomes us into the wedding feast.